This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 173. We are fast approaching 200 shows. I cannot believe it. It is a special show today. I have the CEO, that's Cosmic Engagement Officer, of Dr. Bronner's, David Bronner, the grandson of Emmanuel Bronner, fifth generation soap maker, who uh, is part of the family team that runs the Dr. Bronner's business today. They have had incredible success since the brothers David and Mike took over. Mike is the president. Uh, of the company, they have taken the business from 4 million turnover a year in 1998 to over 111 million in annual revenue in 2017. Now, what's especially exciting about that growth is the way that Dr. Bronner's as a company is structured where the highest paid executive earns no more than five times what the lowest paid person in the company is, is it means they have so much money in the kitty to help make a better world. They are always so actively involved in community projects, incredibly involved in uh, social change, activism, uh, uh um, farming crises. You know, they've just literally uh, partnered with Patagonia uh, early last year to create a regenerative agriculture certification. Uh, and David personally has been at the forefront of some major activism on uh, legalizing hemp, uh, the fair trade and fair pay, fair minimum wage standard in America, the $15 pay. And more recently, uh, advocating for uh, plant medicine, so psychedelic medicine in in America and global culture, um, to become legal because of the incredible research that exists to show uh, its ability to support people with PTSD, uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, and it, it, our chat kind of is, is really me holding back and just listening a lot today, uh, as David speaks about some of the experiences he's had both personally and, uh, in his business, uh, and as an activist and, uh, and there was just so much gold there. I really wanted to let him speak and listen and then just share some insights and make sure I was understanding what I was hearing um, as best I could. Uh, and so you'll hear me interject a few times on that front. But I was really, really fascinated to dive into his beautiful brain and uh, um, a guy who's only a couple of years older than me and has such an impressive body of work over his life so far. Um, not that I'm comparing myself at all, but of course you see when someone's born, you're like, wow, that's so cool. Um, so just a little word of warning for people who for perhaps religious reasons or otherwise are um, offended by discussions around drugs or, or quite closed to um, 
drug use in plant medicine uh, specifically, and then today's show might not be one for you, but I do urge you to have an open mind and, and have a listen. It's not the entirety of the discussion or interview, but it certainly features predominantly. And, um, and I learned a lot too. And I think we can create a much more compassionate world when we speak to people who do things perhaps differently to how we've chosen to do them ourselves. It keeps us open-minded. It keeps us seeing things from other people's perspective and points of view. And in our world that is so desperate to pit us all against each other in a black and white fashion, uh, I, for one, am extremely grateful to have conversations like this where I I haven't done psychedelic medicine um, or drugs, uh, as they're more commonly referred to, Uh, and yet I got some really beautiful and deep insights into Um, the exploration of such a thing. So we speak about that. We speak about regenerative agriculture. We, of course, speak about Dr. Bronner's. We speak about David's activism work and how he weaves that into his day-to-day and a whole bunch more. So I hope you you, uh, enjoy this chat. It was interesting, actually. I saw just uh, recently on my Instagram that Santa Cruz has become the third US city to decriminalize plant medicine. And the reason they've done that, uh, they've joined Oakland and Denver, by the way, um, in recognizing the mental health benefits of, oh, I might pronounce this wrong, psilocybin, psilocybin mushrooms, ayahuasca, and more. Uh, before the vote occurred, the council meeting met with many members of the community coming together to share stories about how psychedelics have helped them treat addiction, depression, and PTSD. Now, personally, I think we should be open-minded to that research. And if it's something you're curious about in terms of uh, its history and the evidence, Michael Pollan has a fantastic book Uh, His latest book a couple of years ago came out on this very subject. So, uh, yeah, that's that chat. And I want to, of course, remind you that we have a wonderful uh, sponsor offer this month that is helping people make their low-tox changes a little easier on the hip pocket. And a good pillow is one of the exier items to transition to. But if you think about the fact that we spend seven or eight hours a night on this pillow... Uh, it stands to reason that we would want to invest in a really good one. Killer Pillar is a beautiful husband and wife brand. They are uh, so passionate about not only the chiropractic benefits of creating the pillow that they've created in Killer Pillar, but also in the materials. Nothing but natural, GOTS certified organic cotton and wool is used to make this pillow and pillow cover. And, uh, and it is so comfortable. I know a lot of low toxers have invested in one already with the, um, discount in December and you have that discount again because it did so well and it was only for two weeks. We've popped it on for the whole month. So you have 15% off all purchases and free shipping Australia wide with low tox life 15 as your code. Now you can just quickly Google K I L L A. 
P-I-L-L-A, or all of the details are in the show notes. It is Australia's only all-natural, organic, spinally correct pillow, literally the healthiest pillow on the planet. And if you're one of our overseas listeners and you want to uh, let them know that you'd love to be able to find it overseas, there's nothing better than receiving an email like that as a small business owner who is wondering whether they should expand. So pop them a note and say you would love to check it out. I am not going to talk anymore. I'm going to lead us into this show um, and I truly hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed this conversation. Hello, David. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. How's it going over there? Really, really great. We're having a hot day here in Sydney and uh, just kicking off our last month of summer in what has been a a pretty tragic start to the decade, I have to say. Crazy, crazy. You guys have had your own serve of wildfires last year and, um, and yeah. a couple of years ago. So you know what we're going through, but I am absolutely determined to keep conversations, at least in the bigger picture sense, positive and can do. And I think that is why, you know, one of the reasons I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, today is the deep feeling personally that you have uh, around that and um, and and some of the solutions that you're working on at a business and personal level as an activist. So I'm pumped. And I was thinking, where do we start this conversation? And I think a bit of history is always fun, right? So something I'm keen to hear because I've also interviewed your beautiful sister, Lisa, a couple of, gosh, I think that was about three years ago now. And um, she obviously told the beautiful story about the sermon on the bottle of your grandfather's because people were walking away from the talks and he thought, how do I get my information to them? And that was kind of how the history of the extremely crowded packaging uh, text began. But I would also like to hear more about your personal relationship with your grandfather as a boy and, uh, and then how you believe it, it sort of went on to influence you uh, as you got older. Yeah, right on. Well, um, you know, my granddad was a really intense individual. Um, and I think especially relating to his grandchildren, it was like incredibly important to him to make sure that we uh, downloaded the full, uh, full truth, the moral ABC that, that you know, he had written on, on uh, every bottle we sell. But for him, the soap was pretty much there to sell a label, not vice versa. And mm. that message of unity and peace, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, one love message, uh, the one true religion of love at the heart of all faith traditions and shamanic traditions and that they all point at that mysterious source and that we're all children of and felt originally called on this mission that if we didn't realize our transcendent unity across religious and ethnic divides that the next holocaust and nuclear armed world we were going to all perish mm. so uh you know and and you know you know we must unite to spaceship earth and you know we are all one or none and, uh, and, you know, pretty much that was the conversation that, you know, for the most part, I can remember growing up. And, and um, you know, it was, it was a little hard to relate and kind of sailing over my head for the most part. Um, and, uh, you know, just, you know, he was just kind of coming from the mountaintop a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, every once in a while he'd chill out and we'd, we'd you know, kind of just kick it on a more normal level. But um, but a lot of it was really just about you know uniting spaceship Earth and um, you know luckily he was blind so like he would say what's number thirteen which is like a really long 
<laughs> one particularly and uh, we could pick up the bottle and like you know and you like you know just like rat rattle it off you know so he would literally quiz you guys to make sure you knew the sermon yeah you know that we had it downloaded and you know and he's like very good very good you know like <laughs> you, you know his thick German accent um so um you know and, and he you know he wasn't the best father to my father and so you know and they, they had a lot to work out in, in their relationship and you know, my dad, in a way, saw the cosmic kind of all one unity vision in a way is what took him, his father away. Because mm. um, my dad's, my, my dad's mom, my grandfather's you know, first wife, and mother of his children died when my dad was two. And my granddad was originally called on this mission and financially supported <clears throat> three children um, coming up in a series of foster homes and would check in once in a while. But basically out saving the world so there was a lot to work out there in that relationship and um you know my dad went to the navy uh when he was 17 spent served for eight years and then came when he came out he actually went to work with my granddad who by then was in la um and set up shop and was renting out a reactor at a chemical specialty manufacturer mm -hmm. my dad would go make the soap and um you know on the weekends and when my granddad moved down here to San Diego, my dad stayed up uh, in, in, LA, in LA where I grew up. And he rose to become the head of the head of manufacturing, the chief business CEO of that operation. Um, so, so I grew up more uh, working with my dad and in his world. Which, ways, which sounds like he was kind of like a regular dad, businessman, you know, go to work, support yeah. the family, yeah. And, and, but it, beautiful, a beautiful man. And, yeah. and really like, you know, yeah, he wanted nothing to do with religion. You know, he, he, you know, like he associated that, I guess, with all the, you know, issues he had with his dad, but was the most single, most moral man I knew, you know, mm. he would just stand up and do the right thing, volunteer his time. And it was just all about family and making a beautiful family for us and coming and home and then just volunteering and, you know, pragmatically engaging in the community directly in ways that were, you know, it can make a real difference. Um, it's interesting, like isn't it? When you were you talking about that, um, it made me think of a quote. I think it was Oprah that enlightened me on this one. You can be religious and not spiritual um, and you can be spiritual and not religious. And the yes. latter, the latter is more of a... Um, a reliable uh, moral code, if you like. Um, Hundred percent, man. Yeah. Some of the most spiritual people I know are about atheists, but they're loving mm. for love's sake. You know, it's like, okay, well, what, you know, the words don't matter. You know, often mm. it's like, what are you loving? Are you getting down? Are you serving? You know, and that's you know, and that's the one true religion of love that I'm part of. And so, um, and and do you think and, that that is actually more what your grandfather was talking about? Yeah, and and I, you know, and so I guess. There's a lot of directions I can go, and, and maybe I'll, I'll go back to so so. Yeah, I really didn't really grok what my granddad was about until in college. I guess I started to have and just you know I mean I know just you all know all the history about my granddad had ovens of the Holocaust behind him and mm. that his parents were, were were murdered in the Holocaust and our factory was Aryanized and um, you know so he had this just immense personal tragedy um, you know so he was dealing with it as best he could in the way he like you know, unpack that, that, you know, like, you know, that 
you know, rather than raging on the situation, but like, here we need to like come together. We need to come together as one so this never ever happens again. I mean, really, really beautiful. Um, so, but you know, it wasn't really till college and really after college that I fully appreciated what he was all about. And, and basically it was a series of psychedelic experiences um, yeah. or mediated experiences. Um, in college, one of my first mushroom experiences, and, uh, and this is at a time when I like kind of retired from alcohol culture and like was like, you know, it's way better to like just kick it with friends and be in a way up more high vibration space with cannabis as a sacrament and just play music and get down. And, you know, it's just, I was just really kind of moving my identity in that direction and away from uh, partying all the time. And, um, and in my own trajectory, I was raised Christian. My dad was, half Jewish, but not religious and had made sure I said the Shema in Hebrew and in, in, in English, the, the central Jewish prayer alongside my Christian prayers, but my mom's Protestant. I was raised Protestant. But by the time I was 13, I, I rejected Christianity kind of on, on its own terms of, of like, you know, if God so loved the earth and, you know, or the world, like why do you send his one only son to the one spot? You know, what about the Chinese? What about the billions of other planets? And, you know, so, you know, and then I became, uh, you know, I was a biology major and I was basically, you know, not that I really thought that much about things, but I mean, basically, I guess, borderline, atheistic, agnostic, scientific, reductionist, mm -hmm. materialist. And, but then, you know, it was also starting to become like really unsatisfied with like this kind of worldview that was being downloaded in my kind of biology and chemistry and physics classes, like, you know, that humanity and consciousness is just an adaptive trait like any other um, intelligence and it's not any more special than anything else and um, just uh, you know in the in the fight for survival and you know I was like well you know on one level sure that's true but it's really partial and there's way more going on here um, and I remember one of my early mushroom trips I remember looking down at my arm and thinking you know what does it mean like at a quantum level I'm not different from the world i'm like one with it there's no boundary of myself in the world it's just one continuous you know field and oneness and when i eat and i poop like I'm, the world's pouring into me and through me and, and i'm not even the same stuff like month to month and just had this like real unity experience of just like you know realizing the world is alive and i'm part of it and you know it's not this like dead world out there and i'm over here you know like like it's somehow like all one deal you know that i'm part of and um and so that was like a, a first real big experience and then in amsterdam so after college um you know and i was had really started to pre you know kind of really question you know cannabis was a big entree for me to really start questioning authority it's like how can something that's so obviously better than alcohol like be like so vilified and um you know and then it was starting to become activists and wanted to go to amsterdam which was then the kind of mecca of cannabis culture. And, um, and I had a Euro pass and, you know, I went to London, went to Amsterdam and when I got involved in the squat scene and there was a, the cannabis cup there, which was the first exposure to hemp. Um, but we met in my squat, like some really amazing people who, um, uh, they were, they were part of a church called our church in Arkansas and, which use sac uh, cannabis as a, a sacrament, as a First Amendment religious challenge to the government. Right. And 93 in Arkansas. And, and not, I mean, it was beautiful, but they didn't pick the right place at the right time. And the feds busted them 
and their leader was in jail and, and these guys that fled in my squad they're just beautiful people but they're facing like 10 years to life you know and i was just like man what is wrong with my country you know just really starting to wake up that you know they set foot i mean these guys are you know in prison and just in the, the way cannabis prohibition you know just the more i learned it was a proxy to go after you know, people of color you know mexican immigrants and, and african-american immigrants and you know, that were competing for white people's jobs in the 30s. And, you know, it's just like a little proxy of, uh, you know, discrimination and prejudice. And, you know, and then the war on the counterculture, you know, the identification of cannabis and psychedelics with the, with the kind of youth rebellion that, you know, re rejected the war machine and, you know, like the corporate rapacious culture, the age of Silent Spring and Rachel Carlson, and we're poisoning the world and our environment and we're just killing it. And, you know, just dropping out of that society and, and, you know, trying to figure out a more sustainable, harmonious way to live, and which was really the birth of the soap as well. That's when my granddad's message really resonated with this biodegradable natural soap. And the counterculture, like, really grooved on that. And, you know, here's this concentrated versatile soap. You can wash by the side of the river and not worry about it. Pair your dog, your dishes, and, you know, and it was, uh, you know, groove on this message of peace. Um, and, you know, cannabis psychedelics are very much kind of wrapped up in this culture war and, you know, was you know, in a way like to kind of the, the authorities you know, to kind of as a proxy to go after the counterculture, you know, made all these substances schedule one, which means, you know, no, no medical use, no nothing, and, uh, you know, su supposedly high potential for abuse, which absolutely they don't. There's no potential for abuse with, with psychedelics. I mean, they'll kick your butt yeah. if you try to. Gosh, can you imagine if uh, they actually uh, put money into alcohol research and its impact and effect on uh, increases in uh, abuse? Uh, yeah, then... <laughs> it's, it's not even a comparison. You know? It's I mean, crazy. Totally yeah. Right. I mean, like oh, 80% of violent crime, you know, alcohol is involved, you know, and like, this is nuts. Mm. Um, but... So, so when I was in Amsterdam, you know, I just had these, this awakening and then I had these, this like mega, you know, LSD, MDMA kind of fueled just, uh, it was just a moment in my life of kind of crisis and self-questioning and just going through a lot and just, you know, I was in a trans club and just really, um, you know, just questioning the way, like where my relationship with my, my uh, now ex-wife. Um, she's an amazing uh, lady, Chris, Chris Limbronner, who's uh, still involved in the All One Family and leads a portion of our family foundation devoted to refugees and uh, human trafficking. And, um, but at the time, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I was just really realizing, just really seeing real clear, like how I had been treating her and how jealous I was of her adventures she had had. In a, in a year abroad that she'd taken and just all the subtle little ways I was like cutting her down and getting in her way and you know and just and like you know it's better you die than be in the way of her light and her love and her arrows and her you know just beauty and just being embraced by her into the light and kind of realizing at the same time that I was taught it was my own soul that I was doing this to like that the way the patriarchal like all that aggression and stuff that how that's ricocheting through all of us and onto each other we're doing it to our own souls and, the, and just really doing just dying literally like dying going through ego death experience and dying into the light and love that was just infinitely forgiving and loving and and just it was like the hugest possible experience i could have um 
and and realizing more or less instantly that wow this is what my granddad's been talking about all the time like this is this is the reality that somehow in the midst of the suffering and, and absurdity that this is the deepest ground of our being it's about love light and being cool and serving and not being a dick you know <laughs> kind of that's, that's, a pretty good that's, blueprint for a happy world <laughs> yeah right um, yeah so you know you like obviously your grandfather was sort of beating this stuff into you and testing you what's number 13, et cetera. Do you feel like the fact that you were exposed to that, even though you didn't really understand it and it felt more like a have to, and why won't my granddad just bake cookies with me, you know, like when you were little, do you feel like that stuff got, you know, just brought into your subconscious and your experience with psychedelics is what actually, um, uh, yeah impacted that if you know what i mean brought it to the fore and uh, you know i mean i don't play in what ifs but isn't it amazing that you were exposed to that 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 is what came to the fore when you had that experience because who knows yeah, what I'm might have sure, otherwise I think, yeah i think you're absolutely right i mean I, I you know i thought about it not quite in those explicit terms but yeah i think you're absolutely right and um and it's um yeah you know in a way it's my destiny and because I'm, I'm a grandson of my grandfather for sure and and, um, you know, kind of mo maybe more in my generation, like, and, and I remember I had a, like a second cousin say like, oh yeah, the Heilbronners, there was always someone kind of crazy in, you know, in, you know, in every generation and emo would have, you know, in his, and probably that's me and mine, um, you know, and, and uh, I mean, we have beautiful relationships with my brother and sister and my mom and brother-in-law, and, but definitely I think they'd all agree that I'm probably the one that's a little more out there than, than everyone else. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, uh, but yeah, and I, I think definitely, and, and, you know, I've had other experiences, um, you know, just processing generational trauma and just really feeling him and all our ancestors, like, you know, because here's like an amazing story. So my dad, so I really feel like me and my brother, you know, our dad is our central moral inspiration, but we also honor my granddad's cosmic vision and will, you know, unifying world unity, you know, they're both like so important and have kind of equal power mm. um, you know in a way like how do you translate that cosmic all in unity mission the lightning like we're going to unite the world it's like well you can't just do it with a soap label you, you know you gotta you gotta leverage what's inside that bottle first of all you know it's like here's our all our ingredients are being produced by farmers and you know how, how can we you know responsibly farm our ingredients in a way that you know takes like all the farmers are and, and workers everyone's winning and they're getting fair prices they're not being exploited they're be able to take care of their land and their people and their communities and um you know and going fair trade and and uh and and organic and regenerative organic you know without you know if you look at a natural ecosystem there is no synthetic inputs and synthetic fertilizers and pesticides you know how, how do we replicate a natural ecosystem in our farming ecosystem um you know just realizing the power like just within our business and in our supply chains to you know really start making beautiful things and realizing like wow if everybody did this you know companies did it with their supply chains people did it with their plates you know hey my plate's a farm and my knife is a butchery knife and my fork's a pitchfork and you know what's my farm look like you know what mm. kind of you know, is it a heaven on earth or is it a disaster you know and like if we enough of us start making that conscious choice like just we can really start making that world and that earth that my granddad envision um so and, and one of my dad and my dad's um uh you know he's amazing one of his main products that he developed was firefighting foam 
So we grew up, like, he, uh, he developed firefighting foam for, for forest fires and structure fires. So when you see those big, like, foam air, you know, airdrops of water and it's foam, like, that, I don't know what product is in Australia, but more often than not, it's my dad developed the WD881. It's his, wow. from Monsanto of all businesses, their firefighting division, which Monsanto spun off in the 80s and is now owned by a Tel Aviv conglomerate. Um, and that's, like, this ironic thing, given that, you know, one of our big activist causes is, is fighting Monsanto and the whole <laughs> But one of those interesting, like, synchronistic uh, uh, destinies. But um, the foam, my dad saw, like, wow, when the foam hits a forest, it looks like a blizzard hit it. And so he developed a version for Hollywood, uh, a, a fake snow. So me and my brother went up and grew up going around with my dad to commercial sets and movie sets and blasting foam on trees. It could be, like, summer and, you know, 100 degrees and, like, it's an alpha seltzer commercial and like there's like big big water booms raining on like extras and parkers <laughs> and stuff all day we're, we're just in our swimsuits the blasting foam you know so and it was so fun i mean it was like you know when you blast foam on the world it's just tra so transformative and liberating and joyous and um so so i go to burning man in my role at, as a board member of mass one of the main groups that's working to integrate psychedelic medicines and therapies into society and at the at the burn, our project is we we actually run some. It's called Zendo, and it's, if you're having an overwhelming psychedelic experience, like rather than going to the med tent or you know somewhere that's like really not the, a good place to be processing really difficult traumatic material that may be coming up, you know we we create these really safe spaces where people hold, uh, hold space and just calm people down and and just enable people to do really good work and take like a challenging situation and actually make it a really amazing productive experience like do some really important work you didn't you thought you were going to go to a party but actually you're going to do some real work here and uh, and i had many friends you know just being really helped by this um service that that is provided by maps and our camp um and but what we do is we bring um we we, we took my dad's firefighting foam technology and and, and fake snow and, and taking a compressed air foam system and put my granddad's soap you know the the organic biodegradable you know natural yep. steel soap into in there and and voila look we can blast like you know organic uh, peppermint soap on the masses so at the burn we have like these big shower trailers that we just and we just pack people in there and people are dancing and screaming and we just blast foam on them and it's a super ecstatic experience I have sent a couple of friends to the soap experience of Burning Man who were going and um, I had the great fortune of checking it out when I came to visit you guys a few years ago um, and uh, driving the truck yeah, was super yeah, fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so the fire, like our truck is in honor of my, my, my dad and his power animals and Eagle and it's got the Phoenix, uh, you know, uh, you know, Phoenix of love on there. Hey, I'm on a podcast. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay yeah i'll be done at 115 or 515 um and uh yeah oh yeah so that yeah. fire truck in honor of my dad and um um and um okay where was i going oh yeah so um yeah so you experienced the joy of the phone uh directly and so yeah so yeah, so at the burn, so we so we bring that joy. So you've experienced it here at Bronner's, um, and uh, uh, so so we we brought the joy that um, uh, that we've all experienced here. My brother 
is awesome. So my brother's company president, Mike Bronner, and we have our six cosmic principles. You, you probably, you know, treat, treat our, uh, you know, treat our fam, you know, treat our employees like family, treat our suppliers, be fair to our suppliers, treat our earth like home and, you know, and, and do right by our profits. And, you know, it's all this, you know, cosmic, awesome, awesome stuff. And my brother about a year ago, just out of the blue, out of nowhere, says, you know, yeah, we got our awesome six principles, but I like to talk about the triangle that we got going on. I was like, well, what triangle? You know, it's like one of these employee meetings. And I'm like, Mike, where, where are we going with this triangle? He's like, well, the triangle, we got the soap. And the soap is, you know, that's the business. That's like all the, you know, making, making the quality product, you know, every time, on time, good price point, taking care of people, you know, being fair, regenerating earth. You know, that's, you know, that's our central you know, soap mission. Then the soul is like taking our profits and being rad and doing all kinds of soulful awesome things. And, you know, you know, how do we like, you know, throw fuel on fire on allies doing amazing work in the world, you know, but, but, you know, if we only had those two things, that's just like, it's not enough. You have to have joy. And, you know, joy is the third piece of the triangle and joy. And that's like magic foam experience. That's the foam and it's the joy, it's the laughter. And I was like, wow, Mike, dude, say it brother. You know, it's what you guys had with your dad on holidays on the movie sets. Yeah, mm. exactly. And it was just, you know, it was just such an exciting thing to, to experience. And now we have this whole event marketing department that's just their mission is to go blast foam on people and just make them ecstatic. And um, so at the burn, like just kind of connecting it back to you were saying, like, isn't, you know, my childhood, like kind of inheritance, my granddad's influence and his whole like spiritual vision, just kind of unconsciously preparing me for that experience. Um, one of the really most powerful experience I had was we've had a few of our Jewish guests at the burn um, get triggered by the fact that there's um, a communal um, shower, a communal shower, and just you know, just like you know, the Nazis would give like a, a soap and a towel and, and you know, kind of to pacify Jews before loading them into the into the gas chamber and mm. dropping the cyclone and. Um, and and they would just hear the ecstatic you know just yelling and you know just the beauty and and, uh, and love of the moment but it, it triggered in the worst way you know mm. and, and this lady wrote an amazing essay a nonfiction essay called Saifa, which is a german word for soap and then kind of play on safety and the lack of safety she felt and just kind of calling out like my granite and me and like just like what are you guys doing and you know and and uh and i and but then she reached out you know, tell me she wrote this essay, and then I'm like, you know, whoa, you know, this is amazing, and thank you for sharing your experience, and you know, let me share where we're coming from. Um, you know, like that's, you know, obviously, you know, we're, you know, I've got the Holocaust, my granddad, that's in our lineage, direct, and um, this is a totally unconscious thing, but you know, my dad, you know, is all about joy and ecstatic experience, and you know, in a way, this is love that love's answer to all that, and it's just like a higher octave vibration that like on some mystical, spiritual, whatever, karmic deal is, um, you know, some, somehow it's like a mystical answer to, to all that. And, and how did she respond? I, well, uh, she was really cool. And she asked me like, well, how are you gonna like, you know, thank you. And like, how, you know, but how, how are we gonna kind of like, you know, honor people who may be triggered and like maybe help them you know, and, and, and I talked to her, I was like, yeah, how do we do that without triggering people too, right? Mm. You don't want to like trigger something that people aren't thinking about, you know, and like in holding the space. So, you know, it was like, okay, well, let's think about how we can do that. 
And, and then coincidentally, we had, um, we were our whole uh, international distribution partners were gathering in Germany for uh, kind of every year we, we bring everyone together in some one, one another country that's meaningful to us. And Germany, just because that's you know, where we began so manufacture and, and we now have Dr. Bronner's Germany that distributes to Europe and- um, Oh, awesome. Yeah, and and, uh, and, you know, and we launched in Germany and Israel in 2008. Amazing. Um, and that was the 150th anniversary of soap making going back to the first date of soap manufacture in Laupine, Germany. So in 1858, Dr. Bronner's grandfather, also named Emanuel, began first making soap in the basement of a small house in Laupine, which house we have bought. Last year we bought my brother's in point along with Gary Lassone, who's our German-American ace who really helped set up our, our major, oh yeah, you talked to him. Yeah, yeah. And he's writing a book and it's going to be amazing. Oh, that's um, exciting. And for anyone listening, please go back and listen to Gero uh, Lassone's um, chat that uh, I think it was show number 84 or 86 a couple of years ago now, but such a good conversation if you want to look deeply into logistics and how you actually regenerate through product creation. Really, really inspiring. Yeah. And, and you know, and just like this theme of like, peace and unity across these divides, you know, German, mm. Jewish, and like us, you know, and just all the kind of just amazing relationships and beauty and, you know, just kind of we're, you know, coming through all that. And, and specifically, we went and saw like, the, you know, Dr. Bronner's old ancestral home in, in Heilbronn. So we started in Alpine and then my granddad's dad and two uncles expanded the operation they had a, a, a constructed big factory in Heilbronn and others small, well, actually much bigger, uh, German manufacturing town in southern Germany, um, and uh, and so we went and visited the ancestral home and, and the factory, um, which is now a machine shop making like these robots making parts for high tech and cars and stuff. And owned by a family, uh, multi generational family. They're really cool. They're not the Nazi who got it in the when it was Aryanized. They got it like in '49. They're really cool and and bonded with them. But, but when we went to my grant to the to the home in Heilbronn, so the German government, um, as of like 10 years ago, some German artists came up with the idea to make stumble stones, they're called in German, um, and they're basically bronze plaques and, and that memorialize the, the Holocaust victims, uh, uh, mostly Jewish, in front of the homes that they lived. Wow. And so in front of our house, we have uh, uh, three three bronze plaques, one to Bertolt, and, uh, and well, Bertolt and Francisco were my great grandparents, Dr. Bronner's parents, and then uh, and then an aunt of his, um, or I guess one of my great aunts, um, a great great aunt, um, and um, and yeah, it's just really powerful in the Jewish quarters of these cities. You just see all these you know bronze plaques, and you know it says, and it has the name and, and the date date of birth, date of deportation, and date of date of murder. You know, and it's just like, you know, and it's just, wow. And, you know, just being there and imagining, you know, my granddad as a kid growing up in the streets and, um, and like a lot of bourgeois Jewish, German Jewish families, like our family is very integrated. Germany was actually a really relatively great place in Europe, uh, you know, up, up until the Nazis. Um, I mean, it was horrible for a long time, like all of Europe, but then it was, you know, with the Enlightenment, it's generally one of the better places to be Jewish. Mm. And 
in our family in particular, like a lot of the bourgeois Jews, like, you know, most of our friends, I think, were like not even, were non-Jewish. I mean, we were Orthodox, but um, like we had a Catholic housemaid and, and you know, pretty integrated. Um, and that was the tragedy. I mean, a lot of like my grandparents' parents, like thought they were gonna write out the madness, you know, got their kids out, help get their kids out, but you know, thought they were gonna write it out and stay until too, too late. No, mm. that was the story for a lot of Jewish families. Um, but just, you know, really feeling that, feeling the enormity of like just, you know, a tragedy and, and, you know, just like, you know, just, wow. And then, um, and then they kind of driving off and going around the corner, there was like this like park, like beautiful big trees and behind a wall. And I'm like, what is that? And, you know, I get out and just feeling drawn to it. And it's a German cemetery. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, you know, and, 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 and there's this feeling, and it's not a not a Jewish, there's Jewish cemeteries that have uh, been to the Jewish cemeteries in Heilbronn and in Laupheim that have our ancestors and actually memorials to the, uh, the German Jewish uh, veterans of World War One. It just shows how integrated, I mean, Jews fought for Germany in World War One, and there's like big, like, you know, um, yeah, wow. service in the Jewish cemeteries. But this was a German cemetery. And I was just feeling like this, like, wait, you know, like just feeling like, you know, most of these kids, like, we're not Nazis, they're just kids, you know, just slaughtered in this like conflagration that engulfed the world and just, you know, and just feeling like, you know, like, you know, just feeling this solidarity with mm-hmm. their Jewish brothers and sisters, like just this deep mega feeling of solidarity and salute, like just saluting each other, the dead and the ancestors and like, and just like, just feeling like, just like this generation slaughtered in Europe and then across the world in Asia. And Chris's family, my ex was, she's Taiwanese born and but her dad was fleeing Mao's army with Chiang Kai-shek and was like one of the last, he was like a baby on his mom's back on the last transfer ship. And just a huge, you know, just feeling this just generational sacrifice. And, you know, and then the, the life force just moving forward to here and now, and just, we have this complex, inheritance karmic inheritance from all of it and just bearing it now and passing it on and doing what we can to up the vibration and, um you know i think you know i've been listening to you speak for the last sort of 15 minutes and storytell and there's a couple of things that have really really struck me and one was when you were talking about the um the feedback from the jewish woman uh from her burning man experience being extremely triggered by the showers yeah and the foam experience and, you know, a disconnected company with disconnected executives would simply send a polite letter back and reply, that's not what we intended. The foam is for joy and lots of people need to get clean and that's the fastest way to do it. So we're sorry you felt that way, but uh, that's not what we intended. And it almost kind of victim shames and, and um, devalidates the, the genuine feeling that woman had and what you did, which is why for me connection is such a huge piece if we really want to change the vibration of our world today. You connected to her. You connected with your history, with her history. You acknowledged her pain and you sought to find a solution with her instead of like the next level of nice executive, which would have been, you know, we'll make sure we put a notice on just in case anyone else gets triggered. You went further. 
And for me, that is such a sign of the blueprint we all need in our lives, not just in business, but on a personal level, a real sense of acknowledgement and bringing their feelings into you as you then try and find solutions together to move forward happily. Because what we see now is a lot of rage, is a lot of instant objection. Oh, I'm not feeling that way, so it must be wrong. Or I'm feeling this way, so it must be right. And we're all disconnected from each other in those, uh, those dialogues. So that was really inspiring. And then what you were talking about with digging super, super deep into your heritage Uh, it's an incredibly connecting experience to do that. And you can only become a more understanding human when you understand the sacrifices and challenges of the people who've come before you. Whether you do that, you know, maybe you've got a pretty regular middle-class family, everyone just kind of died of old age. That's not quite, that's not very common. But you know, maybe you need to do that through history. And I feel like our world needs to start connecting at a deeper level to history instead of learning timelines and facts uh, Mm. so that we can actually apply some learning from it because history is shit if if we don't learn from it. And it feels like we're not using it to create a sense of deeper understanding of pain and challenge of various groups of people to therefore actually be able to communicate, come together and move forward. Um, more united. And I, th- I don't think that's a hippie, woo-woo, you know, crazy idea. I think that's actually the only way we're going to create a happier, more peaceful world. Absolutely. And uh, I couldn't agree more. And, um, and that work is a lot what these medicines, these plant medicines enable us to do is like, you know, really heal, heal ourselves and our traumas and, you know, the immediate things, but then like kind of be able to feel you know get past like okay like yeah my dad or mom was like way out of line in that way but oh wait now i can empathize with that they were dealing with with their parents and their parents challenges that were ricocheting through them and everyone was you know kind of doing a lot of the awesome as they could and oh wait you kind of messed up in that way but you know it's you know i'm you know we're all just living and learning and growing and yeah that connecting and empathizing and understanding and appreciating and then trying to work out the problems you know that have mm-hmm. kind of come through and and just, but also appreciating all the work that they did like the mega work that they did you know yeah. like you know just like thank you and and, um, and that you know so so the story concludes with that so at the burn itself the next year Allie came by like right as I dropped in with some some liquid LSD um, so that's charging up and I was like, Hey, you know, I want to come see how you, what you did. And this was a year we were celebrating psychedelic medicine and integration. Um, and, um, and in terms of Eleusis, the mysteries of Eleusis, which was this ancient mystery called, uh, in Greece that was active from antiquity, like for 3000 years, like class, like pre-classical Greece to like late Roman antiquity before like the Christians like shut it down. And it was, it was around the Demeter, Demeter Persephone. Um, and, and we don't, and our word for mysticism comes from mystics. Those have been initiated into the rites of Eleusis and are forbidden to speak of what they experienced. But we have these like oblique like references about like just, you know, blessed are those who have experienced the rites for they know the source of life in its end. Mm. Really powerful, powerful stuff. 
Mm. And we know it's like it had, you know, just to do with, you know, life and death and rebirth and that this huge mystery of existence and sacrifice and love that regenerates the world. And, um, you know, like Persephone is the green goddess who's like kidnapped by Hades and you know, Demeter is the all mother. And, She's in mourning and famine grips the earth, and then you know, Zeus intercedes, and he, you know, there's this, the whole kind of divine drama, but it's only kind of a surface of like the deep, deep, you know, these mysteries of existence and that, you know, Persephone choosing. And I, I saw that, you know, the similarity to Jehovah and Jesus, like, you know, Jesus swallowed up by the world of sin and then sacrificing to, for love, to, you know, forgive and love and regenerate the world. And, a very similar archetypal drama in the Demeter Persephone. Um, and that was so Albert Hoffman, who discovered LSD, was a big, he, he saw that the kaikion that the, that the initiates drank before was basically a natural form of LSD. Mm-hmm. Back when, in, uh, in, in the European tradition. So we were kind of bringing that reality along with regenerative agriculture and soil. And anyways, we had, so we had this complex, but so we had Demeter, we had this big tree of life in the center of our foam camp. And um and and colin or one of our main dudes was like hey i got river sticks for our chandeliers you know but it was like the river sticks you know like what did and we had this whole like underworld theme and alex house and gray had painted this mural that's like it's called um i think it's called the cosmic dancers or something but it totally looks like people it's like a divine a, a ball in the underworld you know it's people like you know i don't know if you know alex gray and allison gray but just amazing mm-hmm. art to do anatomical like kind of show the universality of humanity across our divisions like, okay and anyway so so i'm walking up with ali and i show her what we did so what we did is we made a sign that like had the the, the, the star the bronze plaques of my of my great-grandparents yeah and says you know hey tell all of our burner friends and yes you know anyone who's experiencing generational trauma and hold you in our hearts until you uh and and until you move through the present moment of celebration behind, you know, and just like, you know, not, not too, you know, but just right when you enter, just like right there, just let everyone know, like, Hey, you know, like people in our camp, like we're, you know, this is, we're conscious of this and, you know, and, um, you know, and hope, hopefully not, you know, doing it in a way that's simple, but, um, you know, acknowledging it without being overly bearing with it. Um, but but then I was like kind of walking up with her, you know, the sun's going down, I'm walking up onto the onto the phone onto the plexiglass trailers, and I'm kind of like starting like, oh shit, I'm gonna like see this like she sees it, because I'm now like in medicine space and I'm like, whoa, and get, you know, preparing and I'm getting in there and, and and as I'm walking up, like like my friends up spinning music, it's beautiful music and the and this various art is just really talking to each other like the divine dancers are talking to this other amazing art that quest one of the artists made that these these torsos that are like just representative of all of humanity and all of our different vibrations and manifestations and 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 the feeling like but the, but so clear was coming through is that the ancestors like far from like like dude this is wrong stop we gotta stop you know it was just calm joy like they're totally present and dancing with me and just like just calm joy radiating just this calm joy like just you know just mm-hmm. and, like, and just like go son like we're with you you know just you keep going amazing amazing yeah. and and i think 
so often we travel through life in our conscious state worried about what everyone's going to think about us and worried about you know you know what what opinions people are going to have but if we're operating from a space of joy and love then the right people are going to support us the whole way through and i kind of want to use that as a bit of a segue i guess to talk about your activist work uh, because there's been a fair few campaigns that you've got behind uh, at this point in time and um and obviously making a very bold and uh, loud statement about a cause and rallying people behind you will inadvertently and intentionally <laughs> alienate others who disagree. Uh, and yeah. your, your intention is not to alienate people, of course. It's always yeah. to bring people together. But in the world we live in, where everybody just instantly objects as soon as it feels unsafe or different, which is just a fact, that's how... Mm. It is right now in our conscious world. Um, how do you deal with that? Feeling like a person who is so connected to everyone and everything. Um, does it bring you pain when you work on something you truly believe will make the world a better place? Or how do you process that? Um, yeah, you know, I guess, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I am pretty aware of my own um, issues and uh, uh, reactions and, and I guess um, pretty tolerant of people, um, you know, differences and just kind of like, okay, like you, you might not agree on some pretty fundamental things, but I'll meet you where you're at and like understand like, okay, here's where I kind of can see things from your point of view, but here's actually you know, and, and just really try to like engage on that level. But yeah, you know, when you just have a really reactive situation or really confrontation with us, it's like, you know, you just kind of need to disengage. And um, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's not fun, you know, and, but that's part of like, you know, the warrior, like, uh, mm. you know, activist deal is like, you just gotta be able to like handle that. And, um, you know, and allies like, you know, are often, problematic you know like a lot of like the really what it takes to be strong enough to stand up against the machine you know you get some really strong personalities that can be pretty difficult mm -hmm. and i think one of my strengths is like being able to kind of like be a bridge builder and peacemaker and just kind of like help a coalition like go the same direction um and so uh, so how did you do that through let's talk about one example like um like legalizing hemp, for example, because that's that's a big one, and yeah. uh, I think you even got arrested for that one outside the White yeah. House one time. Yeah. Um, so how did you go about bringing building bridges in a cause like that? Because I think a lot of us who want to make a difference, I think there's like a bit of a skills gap in that build bridging piece, and we just keep butting up against people and thinking, why do they still disagree with me? And I think the, you know, the people who want to do right by the world need more tools. So I think it'd be really interesting to hear how one goes about that. Well, um, I mean, as far as the internal dynamics within the movement, I mean, the big kind of crisis was when the DEA like tried to um, ban hemp seed oil and derivative imports into the U.S. in 2001, like right after 9-11, the kind of right wing in place they, they kind of just went nuts like they kind of took advantage of the situation and went after medical marijuana and went after ham went after a lot of progressive situations and um so so basically they were they took existing law 
that allowed, clearly allowed, that while it for, was forbidden to grow industrial hemp, you could legally import hemp fiber and seed. There's no problem, we've done it every year since marijuana was banned. And now the hemp industry was really building back up because of you know the amazing work Jack Hare and others have done to like really uncover like the kind of secret history of hemp that had been kind of systematically erased from national consciousness. And, and you know, like, hey, this is an amazing fiber, like, you know, this made the, the sales for the clipper ships, the canvas covered wagons of heading west, all our clothes, and you know, it's such an important crop. Um, and you know, just that rediscovery uh, and and you know, but protecting the existing market of imports until we could get enough momentum to start growing ourselves. But with night with with Bush's DEA, they came after and they basically tried to shut down the market. You know, they basically they would destroy the movement if they could destroy mm. the imports. And you know, at that point, because Canada had re-commercialized in '98, so we were at that point buying hemp seed oil for our soaps from Canada. Like we started putting hemp seed oil on our soap in in 99 and you know and we were hoping for poor you know to win and, and, and you know we would have a you know recommercialized hemp not too far from then but instead we're like in this like total battle with with the right wing trying to shut us down and there are people in our coalition who thought oh well let's what's you know the way they're trying to shut us down is saying that any detectable amount of thc renders hemp oil a control substance so mm -hmm. even at trace, trace, trace parts per million. And this is actually how me and Garrow got together. Garrow had, um, you know, PhD, environmental engineer. He'd been doing a lot of work with natural fibers, coconut fiber and hemp fibers, replacement for synthetic fibers. And he was this like ace in the industry. And I was like, Garrow, we got to like show that these trace non-significant amounts of THC have no bearing whatsoever on any drug test or, you know, you know, any, anything or driving or, or not. And so it was like, you know, we came together and, and we're able to show that at the cutoffs, Canadian cutoffs, there's no way you could eat enough hemp to possibly flunk a drug test. And, but there's people in our coalition who's like, we just got to say that we're in compliance and then we'll somehow magically be protected. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it was just like, you know, just a process of educating, you know, just, you know, it's like kind of a rhetorical oratory thing on email, all the major stakeholders in the hemp universe of like, those who are trying to say like, let's just say that we're compliant because they're not going to detect us at current cutoffs. And it's like, well, it's real easy to lower those cutoffs and then they're going to see the trace THC and we have to fight. We have to show that trace THC, just like trace opiates and a poppy seed bagel and trace alcohol and orange juice, it doesn't matter. It has no significance. We have to fight. This is our time. And, and um, you know, eventually that, you know, was able to kind of counter the people and mostly convinced most people, some of them just to this day are pissed off about it, whatever, even though we won. Um, and, uh, but yeah, but like, you know, winning and, you know, communicating effectively. I mean, that's always like a social movement, you know, you kind of like you lose, you lose, you lose, and then you win. You know, first they would laugh at you and then you know, I forget how they say it, right? Uh, it's first, first they, they laugh, you. then they'll get, and no, they ignore, they laugh, they get angry, you win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So something like that. And, I, and I feel like we yeah. might be at a global they get angry kind of stage. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, obviously there's a lot to be pessimistic about. And obviously the fires that you guys are dealing with, like we're dealing with, I mean, these are like hundred years fires that we've had mm. three times in the last 10 years. I mean, clearly we're in a crisis and it's getting worse. And, but, you know, I guess, um, 
you know, I think there is, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of awareness, a lot of anger, um, on righteous anger, wrong anger, a lot of anger, mm. uh, you know, and uh, and uh, but hopefully it's you know just kind of I don't know help fuel people to get after stuff and and you know take that yeah. anger as an energy and, and you know put it to good use and um, uh, you know and, and I guess plant medicine that that project is you know hand in hand with regenerative organic agriculture we feel is a huge part of the solution mm. um, you know as people can reconnect with themselves and with nature um you know just really start to care about and grapple with these huge problems that we're facing yeah um, yeah and, and you know regenerative organic you know i mean it's all about you know how do we just lower our you know our livestock population you know, i'm personally vegan since 96 and you know, basically believe if you're going to eat meat, milk, or dairy, like just make sure it's from pasture-raised animals living the life we're living in a balanced farming ecosystem. They're not in cages somewhere else being force-fed GMO grain. It's an mm. ecological disaster. We're converting huge amounts of our land surfaces, monoculture, deserts of pesticide, GMO crops. And, you know, how do, how do we like in and get those animals out of their cages, lower their numbers so that they can live in a farm and, and be integrated in a farming system where they're rather than having huge manure lagoons that are like a huge problem that their the fertility flows are all integrated in a mixed livestock, you know, cropping system or, you know, or just completely organic or, you know, just pasture-based livestock. And, you know, I think the solutions are all there. And, and that, that in, in that kind of farming also sequesters huge amounts of atmospheric carbon. Sure into, does. Into the soil. So it's a single greatest, um, strategy to to take excess carbon dioxide like one third of which is from depleted soils from farm rangelands that have been just ripped ripped apart destroyed with fertilizers and pesticides and all the carbon locked up has been oxidized but when you like regenerally manage those soils um just uh you know with like minimal soil disturbance no chemical inputs you're doing rotation crops that bring the fertility in naturally if you have ruminants you're grazing them in a you know, mob grazing, you're just moving them through the landscape in a way that they're not, you know, they hit one part hard and then that, that part regenerates. regenerates. Mm. And that when you're doing all these regenerative practices together, that relatively quickly in five to 10 years, you can bring that soil ecosystem completely back and all the carbon that was lost gets restored. It gets basically brought back into the, the living soil. It's mm. almost like reforestation, and, but the soil is like a much huger carbon sink and so, you know, I, I'm just optimistic with decarbonize our economy, you know, obviously Trump get the hell out of there, but, <laughs> you, know, we, yeah. we, you know, we're making progress. You know, we just got to do it way faster, so, you know, renewables and then regenerative organic agriculture, you know, rather than these big techno whatever fixes for taking carbon out of the atmosphere, like, dude, just farm in a regenerative organic way at a global scale. I and, could not agree more. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's literally writing a book on food and climate change at the moment, I've done so much research and, uh, and what I find really um, interesting about the timing of this chat and the, the prevailing kind of philosophy, if you like, of, of everything you've talked about where it's about building bridges moving forward together is that it's okay for humans to do things differently and believe a few different things. But as long as we all accept that holistic management of not only our lives on a very personal level, but of a farm, of a business, you know, you guys have proven that yeah. incredibly well as a business. 
and if we actually think of the term holistic, um, holistic medicine, where you don't have a kidney guy who doesn't talk to the heart guy, who doesn't talk to the lung lady, who, you know, it just, no. we're all so disconnected in this 20th century model. And I think it's time for us to wake up and see that we're actually in a new century. We've been in here for 20 years now and it requires different thinking if we're going to move forward healthfully. And I love that I've been able to build a community where we have plenty of vegan people in our community, plenty of omnivores, but what we all believe united is that regenerative farming is the way forward. And yeah. I'll never, uh, and you know, someone might say to me, I'll never understand why you're okay with eating the flesh of an animal. And I might say to them, well, I, I'll never understand why the circle of life doesn't make sense to you. We could have that argument forever, but instead we say, I'm a bit different to you. But in principle, we believe the how is what's really important in this picture. And, yeah. And yeah. You know, just resonating to that, I actually wrote a blog called Regenitarians Unite. Nice. How the, uh, how the animal welfare and regenerative agriculture movements can come together to end factory farming mitigate climate change and, and, and uh, you know, I forgot all this other thing, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was basically about how, you know, whatever your dietary role, if you, you know, if it's about less and better meat, like just like, and I went on a deep dive, you know, understanding how you can actually integrate livestock and be in a totally regenerative system and, mm. you know, and kind of a voice of like, okay, I can be in deep solidarity with the pasture based livestock operators. You guys are doing it right. They're often our key allies for people who are doing it wrong. Like they know what, how it should be done versus not done. Um, you know, like the gay browns of the world, and uh, you know, just just some people doing some amazing stuff. And um, so, and that's actually what we do at the burn too. Is um, we, we do every other day plant based and every other day regenerative high level meat and, and dairy, and basically kind of a lesson of like, hey, if it's not this high level, you don't have to eat it. You can do mm. plant based, but you know, honoring that, hey, it can also be regenerative, and here's you know, um, you know, there's uh, just amazing, um, I'm just blanking on his name for a second, but a, a rancher in Colorado, you know, just plays violin to his animals. And, um, <laughs> yeah, we've got a dairy not, farm that's the same yeah. here. They play music to their cows. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Jake, actually, Jake's rad. And he's on the peyote path and, and, and uh, is uh, in, in on the red road. So, and um, in, in this bracelet, so this is a, uh, from uh, the Huichol, so it's, mm -hmm. the it's a tribe and in Mexico has been holding unbroken peyote ceremony for, for 10,000 years. And, um, uh, and actually what I participated in the ceremony is a world unity prayer. And with the, with the rising of the sun, it was, it was two, two years ago. So it was March, the rising of the sun was March 7th and that's both Dr. Brown's death day and my daughter's Maya's birthday. Wow. 90, March 7th, 97. So the Rising Sun, this world unity prayer, all my peyote ceremonies, mystical technician, we shows this deep in the heart. Um, and with the Rising of the Sun, they sacrifice a bull. Um, and, and, you know, it's pretty dang intense. And mm. you know, you're, you're vibrating at a real high level. And it's just like you're, you're there, like really present to this animal bleeding out. And then all its flesh, you know, kind of being taken and reverentially consumed. And, um, and I remember just like, you know, just being there like, wow, it was intense and, you know, kind of hope, wish it was a little quicker, but overall this animal lived the life worth living and, you know, its death is relatively quick and, 
what the colonial mindset that would judge this act barbaric, oh, this animal sacrifice, this is crazy barbaric, like this, so ass backwards, like the 99% of animal death in our culture is the barbaric nightmare. Yeah. Animals locked in cages, like every day of their life is misery and their best day is, is their last day, mm. you know, and, and uh, you know, and they put all their misery in this animal, you know, it's, you know, this is, and, and I was going to Expo West, the big trade show in, in the U.S. to launch the regenerative organic standard with Patagonia and, and allies and animal welfare movement, and fair labor. And I was just really feeling like, wow, this is like really, you know, in a way like a commemorate or like uh, th this is what this envisions, like the animals that we eat and consume live a life like this animal left. Like mm. this is what this standard's about. It's about, you know, a, a method of farming that is pasture-based, regenerative, you know, all the, all the, the workers, the farmers, the animals, everyone's lives are respected. Mm. The animals live a life worth living. All their instinctual behaviors are fulfilled and their end is clean and humane. You know, this is the vision that we're launching into the world with this standard and, and this feeling like the indigenous way of being and knowing and relating so much more harmony with the world environment. Yeah. Like was, uh, yeah. It's really interesting. Uh as as you're talking then and as we talked about uh, you, you said something which was the factory farmed animals best day is their last day and that hit me like a ton of bricks because as i've been writing the book i've been thinking about a life of an animal in a cage and uh and then people eating the meat from the animals in the cage and how many people feel caged in their own lives as humans um, and, uh, yeah. and then, you know, and then they're talking about, you know, their best life, but their best day being the day they go to join God. And you just think, wow, this is really quite amazing how, you know, especially with chronic disease as it is, as it is today, since the industrialization of food, are, are we now caged by the system and, um, and desperate to be free? And the only way we, we end up being free is the day we die. And, mm. and I just think, um, well, that's, that's going pretty deep at the same time. We are, it, as we stay in the industrial model, we stay caged and we prevent ourselves from being all that we could be. And yeah. uh, I think freeing the animals from their cages, changing the way we eat, changing what's on that plate, uh, eating less, but better, all that kind of stuff. If people choose to be omnivores is really the first stage of, of then broadening that because I feel like a lot of people join our community because they want to change what they're eating to feel better. They maybe want to change their products that they're using on their skin to feel better. But as, you know, as you educate people in those two things, it is impossible to do that in a way that's disconnected from the implications of what your better choices mean to the greater world. And then they go on these amazing psychological trips, not in the, not in the drug use sense, but in uh, and, and psychedelics and so forth, but actually very consciously realizing, wow, what I put on my plate is my connection to the earth. What I put on my skin is my connection to the environment and vice versa. And we're all connected. And I think people then start to live very differently when they start to make these connections to their greater world. And it's so inspiring when you see people say, oh my gosh, you know, I can't work for Coca-Cola anymore. Like now that I know all this stuff, I can't live like this, knowing what I'm promoting by being in their marketing department or whatever, you know, whatever company. And we have this flux of people who not 
who are not just wanting a conscious plate, conscious products and cleaning products. They're wanting a conscious life. And, uh, and that's, it's pretty amazing to, to work and provide that for people. I know that's how you guys feel, but it's something I've realized more and more. And, um, you know, life less caged. There you go. That can be the title yeah. of your next blog, David. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. The, yeah. The lifeless cave, man. Uncaged. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I was, I was actually thinking about, I think a Pink Floyd lyric to the fact, you know, like, what did you dream before the machine? You know, yeah, just, yeah. 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 And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and you know, that, that same Burning Man actually like, it was so, so like awesome on point, which was our theme was the restoration of humanity's like covenant with animal and nature. And um, that, that was so disconnected. So like as people came up, so my granddad, you know, he's brilliant. He put the, you know, his label on the soap when people were sick around to hear it and like, oh, you forgot a magazine in the bathroom. Uh, he's got you, you know, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> you control the showers completely you can make people read whatever so at the yeah. burn you know we've got like you know like a two-hour line and like we can you know pretty much put people to do whatever we want and so for reformation we had this whole thing about regenerative agriculture and and regenitarianism mm-hmm. and um and we had people you know basically say you know okay are you, you know are you down to like switch your diet to be regenerative you're gonna eat meat it's gonna be regenerative and people are like oh well, i don't care then we like put them in a jail but that same jail cell, I was arrested with Hampton Front, right of the burn. That was our little CAFO. We like lock them in there. We gave them like popcorn and stuff, but yeah. we let them out, you know. But then we made them like confess, like everybody had to go confess their sins, like pews are set up to the animal world and, and to the natural world. And so, like, we had all these animal masks and people would put them on and hear the confession of, you know, hey, you know, just, you know, how have you not been in alignment and, you know, right relation with, you know, the, animal world and they would switch position and take the next you know and be here like in here you know oh wow and then they go into the phone and like the the art and we were all dressed up as animals and we were like doing a reverse art like like we're putting our human restoring the covenant between humanity and nature and putting like humans into the art you know wash wash them clean restore the balance amazing the prayer and like kind of meaning we had in that whole so do you feel like when a person, the more caged a person is, the less conscious a person has been, that's kind of when these sorts of cathartic confronting experiences can really um, help them shake things up and, and uh, yeah. you know what I mean? Because like I've, oh. I, w- I was sort of raised to be a deep thinker. I don't actually know how it happened, but I've always been very philosophical deep thinking, big picture thinking, always trying to find the meaning of things. I was a songwriter growing up. So maybe the poetry side of things kept me really awake. Um, But I think a lot of people who didn't have those creative outlets as teenagers and go straight into university, straight into a workforce, you can be quite easily and unintentionally disconnected. Um, So, yeah, I'm curious to see what you think about that. Yeah, I think um, that definitely in my own trajectory that the most mega experiences that I've had, um, I mean, it's like there's a series of initiations, but I think the blocks that we have, like, like um, 
we did another burn where it was transformation and it was about gender liberation and psychedelics. And, and one, of, one of the metaphors is that like the way the gender binary socializes boys and girls in our culture is like, it's like cultural foot binding. Like we look at China, like we see videos of like, you know, 200 years ago, you know, they, they bound the women's feet and had to walk down to men and like, oh, how barbaric is that? You know, it's so crazy. Obviously it's really bad, but, but, but symbolically, that's what we do to our kids. Like we like take them and we like bind them up. We're like don't be gay, don't be girly. Like that's you know a huge dimensions mm. of self are just warped in like you know ways, and that's like true of like a lot of dimensions of ourself. And so like when you can like unwarp them, and like like the energy released in that is this mega, you know, mm. and like and the experiences you can have when to to release these cages that we're in. You know, mm. it's just, and, and you can ride into like amazing dimensions of self and love and the mega self of all, you know, and, and all love. And, and um, yeah, you know, and uh, so I think in a way like that, I don't know, like in a way it's like our sins are the wing beats to, to love or I don't know, something like that. Like yeah. once we can like own them and, 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 you know, whatever and realize, fuck, I don't want to be like that anymore. Yeah, and then that's when it can release, and yeah, yeah, and pretty exciting. Free, and, yeah, and the energy that could just whoosh, it's huge. Mm. Um, so a couple more questions. One is, how do you see Dr. Brunner and yourself personally in the next decade? Like, do you think about the future a lot? Do you see where you want to take things? Is there some? I mean, regenerative farming. Uh, certification is quite new is that going to be your big focus because of the pressing nature of climate change in the next wee while as an activist yeah i think i think um it's you know the, the two the two basically focuses and and this year we have heal earth and heal soul that's our two big campaigns mm-hmm. and i feel like it's distilling a lot of our activism uh this year is like a real how do you say pivot real fulcrum cultural tipping point mm-hmm. um that you know we're going to launch rock so um i, I just came out of a, a big board retreat so the regenerative organic standard um will be uh commercially launched sometime this spring um i think we're targeting late may uh, we just came through the pilot process we're ground truthing all, all the elements and it basically brings together the best of soil health animal welfare and fair labor into a single standard um, so all the work we've been doing on fair trade and, and soil health and animal welfare, you know, it's all brought together into a single, single standard. Amazing. Um, so, you know, there's a huge eff- uh, 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 focus on that and that will be ongoing and it's kind of a task of our generation really to how do we make, you know, transform one third of the surface that's currently under industrial agricultural disaster mismanagement into a regenerative organic paradise, you know. Mm. <clears throat> and, that, and that goes for crops and animals, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, mm. just, uh, you know, like, you know, if you're getting meat, it's only from pasture raised animals that, have, you know, live the life with living and a clean, quick death, and, you know, integrated and, in, you know, and in, in farming rural communities that generally this method of farming is very knowledge intensive. It's very productive, but it's, you know, <clears throat> hard to do at scale. You kind of, you got to manage it and you, know, you got a lot of stuff going on. You got other crop rotations, a lot of stuff, and it's very, very productive, but very intensive. So generally you have like smaller land base, smaller farms, much more vibrant um, farming communities, you know, restoring rural economies, 
really valuing farmers, nurses, teachers, you know, occupations mm. right now are quite devalued and just need to be, re, you know, just on a whole other level. Um, so, yeah, so that's a huge focus. And then the other focus is Heal Soul. And that's a focus on psychedelic therapy and like this real renaissance we're living through right now. Of, you know, all these like amazing clinical trials coming out of NYU, New York University, Johns Hopkins, and UCLA. Mm, and and my, sorry, yeah. you keep going. Well, psilocybin and, and MDMA and psilocybin is the active ingredient in, in mushrooms and it's a you know it's being shown to have you know one use with intentionally with right sense setting, um, you know not out in a in a trivial way, but in a way that <clears throat> like when you look at the indigenous con- ceremonial container like the Mazatec Indians when they had the, the mushroom ceremonies or the Shabibo with with ayahuasca and <clears throat> the way these are very very powerful medicines and they need to be approached with intention and respect and <clears throat> when they are. Their healing power is just immense and debilitating, mm. you, know, you know, major depressive disorder, end of life anxiety, addiction, like really bad addiction. <clears throat> um, and PTSD, really traumatized people are able to heal just things that are conditions that our modern pharma and approach is just completely inadequate for. And that, that best is like a band aid, and more often than not, are just not working. And we have epidemics of, of depression and addiction. And, Mm. And trauma and, and the addiction often is about trying to like assuage emotional pain from the trauma and depression. And so it's interesting, uh, isn't it? Because um, what it sounds like to me, I, I've never personally taken a psychedelic, um, but I, I know friends who have. And I can't explain why I made the choice not to at the time. It's just, you know, youth and some people choose one way, some choose another. And, uh, but what I have done as out-of-body work is Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and his meditations um, where you you go to the quantum field and you leave all space and time because you cannot construct something new from the present consciousness. It has to be constructed somewhere else. And I find that to be incredibly powerful. So when you're talking about psychedelics, I almost feel like I, I really get the experience because I've actually had that experience. You have. And it's uh, Michael, I highly recommend reading Michael Pollan. Well, he wrote a book. Yes, it's fantastic. A fantastic book. But also if people don't have a, a time, the New Yorker cover article, The Trip Treatment, mm-hmm. is marvelous. It's amazing. It really goes deep into this therapy. And But what his insight is, is that what, what the, what the psychedelic medicine is doing on a biochemistry level or neuro, neurochemistry is actually disabling the what's called the default mode network, which is our ego self, which mm. is kind of like our executive function. And it kind of says like, okay, uh, you know, it's the kind of like been there, done that. We don't need to pay attention to that. Like, here's what's important. You know, it's like great task oriented, future past, like, you know, that kind of mode. And that what a psychedelic does is it actually decreases that that default and allows areas of the brain that don't normally talk to each other to really start interacting. And actually, when you look at a brain on a on a, on a brain scan, it's much more lit up. Ah, it's so amazing, isn't it? Because when you do Dr. Joe's work and his advanced retreats, he always says um, neurons that fire together wire together, and it sounds it sounds amazingly similar. Yeah. Uh, and and that um, and 
Right. And so then you're in them now and it's now consciousness and it's like, mm. you know, it's not the sort you know, survival, like you got to really be filtering, like you got to pay attention to this, that, you know, that kind of like that mode is important to be in, but you got to be able to get out of it. And, yeah. you know, like it should be a sometimes and not just rule you your, your life. Mm. And that's what we're in. We're just in this like kind of go mode all the time and like, you know, anxious and, and all this. And, you know, just to be relaxed and just allow them that now consciousness to be in, 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 in this, all the, you know, like, the ego consciousness like we it's like we fetishize or like we so identify with it but there's like a way bigger deeper field of consciousness that we can identify with and, and you know heal and be and uh, interact and relate from and and the insight is that meditators have the same it's the same exact thing when you do a brain scan it's the same exact deactivation of that kind of like mode and you know it's like you know stilling the mind right and that like mm. it's, it's the same kind of mind state and that it's being precipitated. And the and and Albert Hoffman, the discoverer of LSD, he actually was a very devoted meditation practitioner. And he saw that medicine, that psychedelic medicine should be integrated with meditation and used infrequently with intention and not probably as your friends were doing, like way out, and we all kind of did that. And yeah, it's like a whole other game when you're doing it with intention in a, in a set and you're not, you don't have environmental distractions. You're just going in and, um, and the therapeutic container is the kind of analog, uh, the Western analog to this indigenous ceremonial container. It just allows people to really release into their experience. You know, you'll have a sitter that holds a space. So you don't have to worry about whatever. It just allows people to really just go to that field and, mm. and you know, just, you know, just be healed and know and, you know, be disidentified from self-destructive patterns of behavior and thought and, and stories that they tell themselves and just provide an opportunity to reset and their program in a way. Mm. And, and, and we're all in the world and, you know, break addictive patterns and break self-destructive whatever. But the similarity to meditation is, I think, a real good one. And mm -hmm. that, that's one of my things that I, I like to say is, like, I look forward to a world where, People have, you know, when you say in the same breath, you know, what is your med med meditation practice? You say, what is your medicine practice? Mm. And everyone's got both, mm. you know, and I've been realizing, in, you know, that like the meditation, like the psych you have peak experiences, but it's like, there's a saying, like, how do you make the, um, whatever, it rhymes, I forget exactly, but something into an enduring trait or a peak state into an enduring trait, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, mm. you can have a peak state, but okay, now you're back and you're, you know, you got all your old, bad habits and patterns of thought and you know now you're just ego inflated and you're not actually putting yes it, it's like when you see a motivational speaker and you come out and it's like oh my gosh that was amazing and i'm going to change my life now and then the same thing two days later it's like nothing yeah, happened yeah you got to do the work right and you mm -hmm. gotta you gotta like apply the lessons and and um and a meditation practice for me is just so hugely important and you know i get up and that's the first thing i do and um and yeah and so that you know and that you know I, so i really feel like you know intentional medicine use paired with meditation is i mean they're both driving in, in similar ways and are very complementary um and you know everyone's path and i'm not saying like there's only the medicine path there's only the meditation path i mean i feel like there's you know other paths but i think they're both very very powerful and complementary um and i think the you know and, and, and there's just needs to be more intention and discipline with med you know, it's the same thing with meditation. I mean, if you're like not 
you know, if you're not really getting after it or you're not approaching it with respect and you're just trying to, you know, like what you get out of it, we put into it kind of thing. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, so we're very excited in Australia to have you joining us for a couple of panels coming up. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to hosting one of them in Sydney, which would be great. And, uh, uh, I encourage everybody to check out the, ch- the um, show notes so that you can find more information um, and see when they're on and how to get there. But David, thank you so much for joining me. What a, um, what a trip. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great conversation. Really, oh, really. Yeah, no, thank you. And you know really what? Good. Saying a trip, like that was another, uh, like just travel is another thing, right? Mm. Like travel is another way to really disrupt the familiar, you know, like you're just kind of, taking everything for granted, the miraculousness of our every moment, mm. we take it for granted because we're just not, we just get all familiarized. But when, when you're traveling, you know, you can just be really open again to that mm. magic that's always there. It's just like we forget. Yeah, but, and I think I think if if I take one thing from this conversation as like a bit of a uh, an umbrella that uh, covers the lot, it really is to seek out experiences in your life that have you understand, connect with and accept what's around you um, uh, instead of disconnect, um, shun and object to what's around you. And also to then find paths to move forward together, you know, that because there are some things that we should not accept uh, and that's okay um, and that we all universally agree are a bad idea if we want a happy, peaceful world uh, where our many grandchildren down can still benefit from a thriving planet. So I just want to say thank you for reminding us of what the really important things are. And, uh, and I can't wait to see you in Sydney. Yeah. Well, thank you, Alex. This is amazing and really awesome to get to know you better and really appreciate your like, super deep, uh, deep take and, and wisdom and insight. Um, can't wait to be on this panel. And I'll even not go this deep on that direction if I don't know what the topic is. <laughs> we'll figure it out on the night. All good. All good. Thanks, David. Say hi to the family. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. Uh, And uh, there's amazing aid Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week.